0: Section fifty eight of Russia, Austria Hungary, the Balkan States, and Turkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume Six Russia, Austria Hungary, the Balkan States, and Turkey. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section fifty eight how jan sobieski saved vienna from the turks 1683 by john s c abbott toward the end of the seventeenth century the hungarians asked aid from the turks against the despotism of leopold emperor of the holy roman empire the duke of lorraine who commanded leopold's forces was at length shut up in vienna and the emperor was in despair and Sobieski came to the rescue, the editor. The banners of the advanced guard of the Turkish army were seen from the walls of Vienna. Soon the whole mighty host, like an inundation, came surging on and surrounding the city, invested it on all sides. The terrific assault from innumerable batteries immediately commenced. The besieged were soon reduced to the last extremity for want of provisions, and famine and pestilence, rioting within the walls, destroyed more than the shot of the enemy. The suburbs were destroyed, the principal outworks taken, several breaches were battered in the walls, and the terrified inhabitants were hourly in expectation that the city would be taken by storm. There cannot be this side of the world of woe, anything more terrible than such an event the emperor in his terror had dispatched envoys all over germany to rally troops for the defence of vienna and the empire he himself had hastened to poland where with frantic entreaties he pressed the king the renowned jan sobieski whose very name was a terror to rush to his relief Sobieski left orders for a powerful army immediately to commence the march, but without waiting for their comparatively slow movements, he placed himself at the head of three thousand Polish horsemen and, without encumbering himself with luggage, like the sweep of the whirlwind, traversed Silesia and Moravia and reached Tulin on the banks of the Danube, about twenty miles above Vienna he had been told by the emperor that here he would find an army awaiting him and a bridge constructed by which he could cross the stream but to his bitter disappointment he found no army and the bridge unfinished indignantly he exclaimed what does the emperor mean does he think me a mere adventurer i left my own army that i might take command of this it is not for myself that i fight but for him notwithstanding this disappointment he called into requisition all his energies to meet the crisis the bridge was pushed forward to its completion the loitering german troops were hurried on to the rendezvous after a few days the polish troops by forced marches arrived and sobieski found himself at the head of sixty thousand men experienced soldiers and well supplied with all the munitions of war on the 11th of September, the inhabitants of the city were overjoyed in descrying from the towers of the city, in the distance, the approaching banners of the Polish and German army. Sobieski ascended an elevation and long and carefully scrutinized the position of the besieging host. He then calmly remarked, The Grand Vizier has selected a bad position. I understand him he is ignorant of the arts of war and yet thinks that he has military genius it will be so easy to conquer him that we shall obtain no honor from the victory early the next morning the twelfth of september the polish and german troops rushed to the assault with such amazing impetuosity and guided by such military skill that the turks were swept before them as by a torrent the army of the Grand Vizier, seized by a panic, fled so precipitately that they left baggage, tents, ammunition, and provisions behind. The garrison emerged from the city and cooperated with the victors, and booty of indescribable value fell into their hands. As Sobieski took possession of the abandoned camp, stored with all the wealth and luxuries of the East, he wrote, in a tone of pleasantry, to his wife, the grand vizier has left me his heir and i inherit millions of ducats when i return home i shall not be met with reproach of the tartar wives you were not a man because you have come back without booty the inhabitants of vienna flocked out from the city to greet the king as an angel deliverer sent from heaven the next morning the gates of the city were thrown open the streets were garlanded with flowers and the king of poland had a triumphal reception in the streets of the metropolis. The enthusiasm and gratitude of the people passed all ordinary bounds. The bells rang their merriest peals, files of maidens lined his path, and acclamations bursting from the heart greeted him every step of the way. They called him their father and deliverer. They struggled to kiss his feet and even to touch his garments. With difficulty he pressed through the grateful crowd to the cathedral where he prostrated himself before the altar and returned thanks to god for the signal victory as he returned after a public dinner to his camp he said this is the happiest day of my life two days after this leopold returned trembling and humiliated to his capital he was received in silence and with undisguised contempt, his mortification was intense, and he could not endure to hear the praises which were everywhere lavished upon Sobieski. Jealousy rankled in his heart, and he vented his spite upon all around him. It was necessary that he should have an interview with the heroic king who had so nobly come to his rescue, but instead of meeting him with a warm and grateful heart, he began to study the punctilios of etiquette that the dreaded interview might be rendered as cold and formal as possible. Sobieski was merely an elective monarch. Leopold was a hereditary king and an emperor. Leopold even expressed some doubt whether it were consistent with his exalted dignity to grant the Polish king the honor of an audience. He inquired whether an elected monarch had ever been admitted to the presence of an emperor and if so with what forms in the present case the king should be received the duke of lorraine of whom he made the inquiry disgusted with the mean spirit of the emperor nobly replied with open arms but the soulless leopold had every movement punctiliously arranged according to the dictates of his ennoble spirit the Polish and Austrian armies were drawn up in opposite lines upon the plain before the city. At concerted signal, the emperor and the king emerged from their respective ranks and rode out upon the open plain to meet each other. Sobieski, a man of splendid bearing, magnificently mounted, and dressed in the brilliant uniform of a Polish warrior, attracted all eyes and the admiration of all hearts his war-steed pranced proudly as if conscious of the royal burden he bore and of the victories he had achieved leopold was an ungainly man at best conscious of his inability to vie with the hero in his personal presence he affected the utmost simplicity of dress and equipage humiliated also by the cold reception he had met and by the conscious of extreme unpopularity in both armies he was embarrassed and dejected. The contrast was very striking, adding to the renown of Sobieski and sinking Leopold still deeper in contempt. The two sovereigns advanced, formally saluted each other with bows, dismounted and embraced. A few cold words were exchanged. They again embraced and remounted to review the troops. But Sobieski, Frank, cordial, impulsive, was so disgusted with this reception, so different from what he had a right to expect, that he excused himself and rode to his tent, leaving his Chancellor Zaluski to accompany the Emperor on the review. As Leopold rode along the lines, he was received in contemptuous silence, and he returned to his palace in Vienna tortured by wounded pride and chagrin. End of section 58